Uh, the first reading is from Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Our second reading is from Mark, starting at the beginning, in chapter 1 on page 1002 in the Church Bibles. So Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is God's word. Thanks very much, Elizabeth, for reading the passage to us. Hi, everyone. Let me have my welcome to Pete's. Great to see you here. My name's Mark. I'm one of the ministers. And a particular warm welcome if this is your first time with us. Great to have you here as we're starting this new sermon series today in the Gospel of Mark. And we're told right up front in verse 1 that this is a book of the Bible full of good news. Do you notice that in verse 1? Mark says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So here's good news. Who here doesn't want some good news today? This is good news for you. This is good news for me. Um, This is good news that has stood the test of time. This is not fake news. This is news rooted in the real and historical person of Jesus Christ. This is good news for every area of our lives. Good news for society at large. Good news not just for life, but for death and into eternity. That is what this book, the book of Mark, is all about. So yes, it is only 16 chapters, it's the shortest of the four Gospels, and yes, it may have been written thousands of years ago in the middle of the first century AD, but this is a book of the Bible that has been transforming millions of people's lives since it was first written, and continues to transform people's lives today. This is what we're going to be studying this term, the Gospel of Mark, in the first six chapters. Now, as I talk about it being good news, of course, there are many people in culture today that don't think it is good news. They think Christianity is dated news. They think Christianity is repressive news. They think Christianity is bad news, not good news for society today. But in my experience, in the sort of conversations I have with friends or ex-colleagues and stuff about this, it's often it is the case that people's anger towards Christianity, people's apathy towards Christianity, is most often, and I know this is the case with me, based on a misunderstanding, uh, a confusion as to what the message of Christianity is really about. And so here is an opportunity for us, wherever we're coming from today, to get back to basics, so to speak, with the simple message of Jesus Christ. As we look at this gospel together, the first of the four accounts, gospel accounts, What is this good news? Why is Jesus such good news? Who is he? What has he done? What's it mean to follow him uh, today? Especially if you're someone here looking into Christian things. It's great to have you here. Every Sunday we often have people looking in to the claims of Jesus Christ. And we hope, our prayer is that you will find the answers to the questions you're looking for as we go through Mark's Gospel. For most of us here, many of us here, we are following Jesus. And as you came today, you probably thought, yeah, no, Christianity is good news and I believe it to be good news. But often... Or at times, it might not feel like good news. Could be you're going through a particularly tough time at the moment, at home or at work. Could be you've come off the summer holidays and actually your heart feels quite cold towards Jesus. Things are pretty dry spiritually. Perhaps you're going through a period of quite sustained suffering at the moment. You wonder what's going on. And perhaps other things in life are seeming more attractive and better news than Jesus right now. Look, if that's you, here is an opportunity for us to have our hearts recaptured by the good news of Jesus Christ and have our lives reshaped by, quite frankly, what is the best news the world has ever known. So that's where we're going to be going this term. What is this news exactly? Well, look, come with me to the gospel now. First thing for us to see is that this is good news all about 
Jesus Christ, all about a person. In verse 1 we read, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, about a person. Christianity, first and foremost, is personal. First and foremost, Christianity is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Throughout Mark's Gospel, we are going to see Jesus drawing people to himself, entering into relationship with people, calling people to follow him. This is not the beginning of the good news about church activities, church buildings, church growth. As wonderful as those things can be, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, about him, about life and relationship with him. This is Christianity 101. This is the heart of the Christian message. It is amazing how easily we can forget this, how easily I can forget this. The last eight or so months has been a wonderfully exciting time, both for St. James Clerkenwell, the historic parish church here, and Inspire Church that started a few years ago, as the Lord has brought us together as one church across two congregations. The Lord has been very gracious to us as we've seen people put their faith in Jesus Christ, grow in their faith in Jesus Christ, come back to him. The Lord has enabled us to put on a whole range of church activities, mini music makers, our mums and tops group, community choir, door-to-door, Inspire Football, Inspire English, it goes on and on, our week of talks, the festival on the green as we put these things on for the local community. And as one of the ministers here, I had the privilege and joy of being involved in a lot of these, preparing for it, praying for it, preaching at it. People say, wow, you must be over the moon. This is such good news. And in many ways it was. But come July, I realized that something was not right in my heart. There was a restlessness there. There was the beginning of an apathy towards ministry in my heart. It wasn't just that I was exhausted after like seven months of full-on work, although I needed to rest and definitely needed a holiday. No, something deeper was going on. And as I prayed it through with the Lord and asked the Spirit to search my heart, I realized that I had lost sight of what is at the heart of the Christian message and a relationship with Jesus. I was doing all these things for Jesus, but wasn't doing all these things with Jesus in relationship with him. Because at the end of the day, it's all about him. He is at the heart of all things. Christianity 101, such a simple point, but in many ways a profound point and a point that we often forget, we lose sight of. Even the blessings of Jesus can get in the way. For example, I came home the other day. We've now moved to the vicarage up in Owens Row. So we've been doing a lot of unpacking and I I come home late from, from work. And I noticed that Joe's unpocked all the back, uh, one of the rooms of the boxes, made it really beautiful. I thought, oh, that's amazing. You know, good old Joe doing that, sorting that out. Um, it's quite quiet as I come into the house, which is unusual with our four young children when there's normally a cacophony of noise. But I've got back late and Joe's managed to put them all to bed. Well done, Joe. Thanks so much. Really appreciate that. Walk into the kitchen. I see she's cooked us a meal for us. It's all laid out and ready. I go upstairs into the bedroom. Oh, she's washed my clothes and washed my squash kit for the match tomorrow. Amazing. I go into the bathroom. The squeaky door has stopped. DIY Joe has fixed that as well. You might wonder, what do I do at home? (laughs) Not very much on that particular day. But anyway, there I am. You might say at that moment, you must think you're the happiest man man alive. I was not. Why not? Because Joe was not home that evening. Joe was out at a dance class. I ate my meal by myself. I relieved the babysitter. I missed her. I couldn't wait for her to come back. Why? Because at the heart of our relationship is not the things I get from her, it is her. 
And so it is when it comes to our relationship with God. We can even let the blessings of Jesus get in the way. Are you interested in Jesus? Do you want Jesus purely because of the blessings he gives you, the things you get from him? Or because of him himself? Relationships often take a nosedive when people stop caring about the person themselves and just what they can get from them. It's just the same with God. You want him, relationship with him. He is the good news. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And so if you are someone here looking into Christian things, I hope you can see you've got to look into Jesus. Who is this man that lived 2,000 years ago? What did he do to start this religion of Christianity? Where is he now? What does it mean to follow him today? It is all about him. You will never understand the good news of Christianity, never fully grasp it, before you fully grasp who this person, Jesus, is. Look into him. That's what we'd love to help you with. And for those of us who are following Jesus Christ, well, look, can I ask at the start of a new academic year, as we come back after the summer holidays, how is your relationship with Jesus going? I mean, we're quite used to asking each other, how's it going with your boss, you know, after last week? How's it going with that mate? How's it going with your neighbour, your spouse, your, your children? We know how important relationships are to us. So how's it going with God? Because that's the most important relationship of all. How's it going? Are you communicating well? Are you spending time together? Are you listening to him from the Bible? Are you talking to him in prayer? Are you putting aside the necessary time and effort that any relationship requires, let alone a relationship with God? How's it going? Because the good news is about him, about Jesus. That's the first thing to see. Now, at this point, you might say, well, yeah, okay, I get it's about a relationship with Jesus, but what's so special and attractive about that? What is it about Jesus that makes him such good news? Well, let's move on secondly to the fact that Jesus is God's king and he's bringing in God's kingdom who he is, what he's done. This is verse 1 again. We'll speed up a little bit now through the verses, don't worry, going through all 15. Um, Verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Messiah. Uh, This is a rich Old Testament term, God's anointed one, God's king, um, the one promised from the Old Testament to come, and no ordinary king, by the way, verse 1, he's the Son of God. Um, Verse 3, he's the Lord himself. Um, Isaiah prophesied in verses 2 and 3 that before this king arrived, there would be a messenger to prepare the way for the Lord for his arrival. And that messenger is John the Baptist in verse 4. He appears, if you glance down, in the wilderness, just as Isaiah prophesied in verse 3. He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's how to get ready for God's arrival. Verse 5, therefore all the people of Jerusalem went out to John, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan. Verse 6, we're told about his weird dress sense made of camel's hair, this leather belt around his waist. That is like the prophet Elijah from Two Kings. And when this messenger came, he said he would look like, be like Elijah. That's why Mark includes that. And then verse 7, this is his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. Not any old one, the one. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water. I mean, I can't wash away your sins. It's only symbolic. But the one who is to come, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit so that you will be made whole again. 
and you will be loved by God and you'll be forgiven by God. And guilt and shame will be no more. An inner transformation of heart and soul baptized with the Holy Spirit as he draws you back into relationship with the God you were made for. Here is the good news about Jesus. God's King. I'm told by the psychologists that guilt and shame are with us from a very early age. Uh, Guilt from the age of three. Shame from the age of 15 months. Guilt, I have done something wrong. I've done something bad. Shame, I am bad. I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. And shame and guilt, they gnaw away at us. Will I get found out? Will I have to pay? What will happen to me? We try and escape it, we try and push it away, we try and deal with it ourselves, and it is still there, gnawing away. Joe and I, over the summer, watched the TV series Unforgotten. I'm not sure if you've heard it um, or seen it. Originally, ITV show, um, we picked it up on Netflix. And what really surprised me about the show in the six episodes was how often the language of punishment came up. And it's really like modern TV series. And the need for there to be punishment when other people have done wrong things. I won't spoil it for you, but there's been this murder back, um, back in the 1970s, and the body or the bones have only just been found. And they realize there's been a murder, and so they're going to investigate it and find out who did it, hence the name Unforgotten. Because of the 70s, there are only a few people who it could have possibly been living at the house at the time. There are four of them. Um, But what's interesting about it is that each of these four characters have done things in their past which they are very guilty about and feel shame for. And at the beginning, you think any four of them could be the the murderer. In the end, only one of them is the murderer. But what's fascinating about this series and the way it finishes is that each of the other three, you know, four in total, each of the other three, each of them have to pay for what they've done. Each of them are punished in their own way, and none of them escapes their past. Guilt and shame gnawing away. I know as a culture we have tried to move away from the idea of a holy, righteous God, a God who we are accountable to, to try and deal with guilt and shame, but the guilt and shame is still there. And that is why so many people are going to counsellors and psychologists to try and deal with guilt and shame. Can you see what Jesus Christ is offering here? Forgiveness of sins, an end to it all, no more guilt or shame. A relationship with God secure. I love you. You are okay now. Everything will be all right. Jesus comes to earth and he does not want to punish us for our sins. He wants to forgive us for our sins. He's a loving king. He's a gracious king. He's a merciful king. He is a king who is prepared to forgive the darkest secrets of your heart. Now, is that not a king, a leader you want to follow? This is who Jesus is. This is the good news about him. There's more. This is just the first part. Also, in verses 9 to 13, we see the full extent of his rule. In verses 9 to 11, uh, Jesus is baptized by John. And you've noticed something quite extraordinary happens. As Jesus was coming out the water, verse 10, he saw heaven being torn open. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. That's how he can baptize in the Spirit, because he has the Spirit in a unique way. 
And a voice comes from heaven, the voice of God the Father, his Father. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Do you know there are no two other characters who are named the Son of God in the Old Testament? First of all, Adam in the Garden of Eden, the first human being, the first Son of God. He was meant to rule God's creation under God, but he's tempted by Satan and he falls into sin. Then there's Israel, specially chosen by God, the Son of God, meant to bring blessing to the nations, but they fail spectacularly as they turn from God and go into exile. Both sons of God fail. And yet here now, finally, is the Son of God who does not fail. A son whom God loves. A son with whom God is well pleased. A son, verse 12, who is sent out into the wilderness like Israel before him. A son who is tempted by Satan, verse 13, as Adam before him, but where those sons fail, this one doesn't fail, and Jesus Christ is victorious. And so now Jesus Christ can say, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. God's kingdom, God's perfect, righteous rule is here, life, and it is meant to be lived today. Blessing to the nations restoration, renewal to the whole world. Jesus, God's King, he's here. This is the good news we all long for. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, and Pete alluded to this uh, last week, uh, Rodney Stark stresses that Christianity's 40% growth per decade during the first three centuries AD can be credited to Christians' deep involvement in the fabric of their culture. Listen to these words. Christianity served as a revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities tolerable. Now, do you see the good news about Jesus Christ? Personal renewal, right at the heart of it, but also whole world cultural renewal. Because the good news about Jesus Christ transforms and changes everything in this universe. And so if we've got in our head the good news, we've got to have these two aspects in mind. Sometimes we can have too narrow a focus on the good news about Jesus and think only exclusively about forgiveness of sin and my personal relationship with Jesus. Now, please don't mishear me. Don't get me wrong. It is a wonderful thing. It is the heart of the good news. There is nothing better than following Jesus Christ. But as our hearts are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in God's kingdom and rule and power and authority at work in our lives, so it starts transforming other areas of life, our friendships, our marriages, our families. And as more and more people are transformed by that same loving rule, the kingdom of God at work in their lives, you can see unjust institutions change, neighborhoods change, society at large, and one day the whole universe renewed under the perfect righteous rule of Jesus Christ. Now, on the other hand, some people can have too wide a view of the good news about Jesus Christ and think it's exclusively and only about fighting injustices creation care, making poverty history. But people forget that at the heart of the good news is the transformation of the soul, the transformation of the human heart, the forgiveness of sin. And if this doesn't happen, it doesn't matter how much change we bring about, sin will come flooding back 
and all these injustices will come flooding back too. Now, I doubt you're either anyone's here maybe tempted to either of these extremes, but we're all going to have a bias to go one way or the other. And we need to recognize the bias that we have and to focus on both aspects of the good news. Personal renewal, the forgiveness of sin, and a whole world renewal, because the good news about Jesus changes everything. Well, how then do we respond to all this? Verse 15 tells us, as Jesus commands us, this is his first spoken words in Mark's gospel, he says, repent and believe the good news. One thing you'll notice about the author of this gospel, Mark, is he is a man in a hurry. Okay, this is the shortest of the gospels, it's only 16 chapters. We get nothing in his gospel about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. There are no angels, there are no shepherds, there's no virgin birth, no wise men, no Jesus getting lost at the temple at age 12. Um, 41 times in this gospel you get the Greek word euthis, immediately, first this happened, immediately this happened, immediately this happened, and we saw it in verse 10, just as Jesus was coming out, verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, in a hurry, very busy, he doesn't hang around, so if you are someone here who tends to skip the small talk, if you are someone who likes people to get to the point and just tell me what you you want me to do, you're going to love the gospel of Mark. He gets straight to the point. You want to know what you need to do? You need to repent and believe. You want this good news for yourself? Repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? It means to make a U-turn. I seem to be hearing this phrase a lot at the moment from my sat-nav. I don't know if it's because I'm getting old now in my 40s or just because we've moved house up by the angel and the road system's like a nightmare. But, you know, as soon as you make a a wrong turn or miss it, you go... Make a U-turn. Like, okay, um, make a U- I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> make a U-turn. Anyway, this is what Jesus is saying we need to do with God. We need to make a U-turn. We need to turn things around. We need to s- stop living by the world's values and start living by God's values. We need to make a U-turn. Now, we need to stop thinking that, you know, I want to be the person I want to be. Actually, Jesus calling us to be the person God wants us to be. Stop trying to deal with your guilt and shame yourself and turn to Jesus Christ, the one who can uniquely forgive your sin himself. Stop making life all about me and revolving things around you and get deeply involved in the fabric of culture and this revitalization movement that is Christianity. Repent. Make a U-turn. Believe in him. This is what Jesus is calling us to do with God. Now, repentance is more than just saying sorry, because there's no point in me saying sorry to Joe in the car when I've just missed the turn if I carry on driving in the wrong direction, right? You say sorry, but then you've got to change things around. And Jesus is saying, we need to change things around, turn things around with God. Turn to him, confess our sins, and seek his power to change. Will you do that? Of course, for some here, this might be the first time you're you're hearing this, hearing this about Jesus. This is what it's about, the king, his kingdom, repenting, and you'll want to look into Jesus some more. That's what we're doing this term. Check out his claims. Look at his life, what he does. Does it stack up? But you are being told right up front that a decision does need to be made. 
If you want the good news about Jesus Christ to be good news for you, well, it demands a response. Repent and believe. And for those of us who do call ourselves Christians, well, that is something we need to continue to do. And Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said that all of life is repentance every day, turning from our sin, turning to Jesus Christ, confessing our sin, seeking his power to change. Repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe every day of our lives until we die or Jesus Christ returns and we see him face to face then. So look, if you are someone stuck in a rut in your Christian walk, if you are struggling to grow, if things do feel dry for you, if your heart feels cold, if Christianity is not feeling like good news for you right now, could it be that at the heart of it you have lost sight of the person of Jesus Christ and relationship with him? Because he is here now. He is speaking to you through these words. He is calling you back to him. Arms wide open. You know, it's a really interesting phrase, heaven torn open. That phrase torn open is only here in this baptism, this gospel account. And that phrase in Greek, torn open, only comes up one other time in Mark's gospel. You can guess when. It's when Jesus Christ is dying on our behalf and the curtain of the temple is torn into and access and relationship with God is open to everyone. Jesus gives up his spirit so we can be baptised in the spirit. Jesus is the one forsaken by God for our sin so we can be forgiven by our sin. And Jesus is the one whose body is torn in two so that you and I can be made whole again. And we can hear God saying of us, you are my son, you are my daughter whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Now this is the good news about Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much indeed for the Gospel of Mark. Just 16 short chapters. He's in a hurry. wants to get right to the point. And so would you show us afresh why Christianity is good news. Jesus being your king, bringing in your kingdom. This gracious, loving, forgiveness of sin, king, but the fact that it impacts all of life and one day you will renew the whole world for your glory. Wherever we are today, Father, please would you move us one step closer to you to repent and to believe in this good news. And we ask it for Jesus' sake.